Today on Commerce Tea, we are looking towards the future, the future of commerce. We are joined by Ethan Choi, partner at Excel, specializing in growth. Today, he is joining us to talk about one of his favorite topics, consumer internet companies. What's that? Well, let's dig in. Welcome to Commerce Tea, a podcast to help you succeed on Shopify. I'm Rian. And I'm Kelly. Grab a mug and join us as we talk about all things commerce. Hey, Kelly. Let's say I can't write code, but I want to create workflows that carry out repetitive tasks automatically. So that way I can focus on my business and create great customer experiences. What would I use? I recommend Mesa, a no-code workflow builder for any action your customer takes. You can use Mesa's built-in features to extend your connected apps, set up email notifications, receive forms, schedule tasks, delay workflows, and much more. Developers like me also love Mesa because we can lift the hood on any automation to customize for total control. Okay, I'm in. How do I start? Go to getmesa.com. That's G-E-T-M-E-S-A.com. And their team of automation experts will support you on your journey 24-7. Every aspect of your website is a variable that could be impacting your business's revenue. We all want to grow our business, and we make changes with the hopes of seeing our business grow. Maybe you add a new graphic here, new social proof on your product page there. Maybe change your pricing. But do you know if this new thing is helping or hurting you? Today, testing is a requirement in understanding what is and isn't working for your business. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to test. In fact, I set up my first test in less than 10 minutes on a client's store using Meet A-B testing. After the test was live, we saw a confidence level on each of our tests to know which is actually best for the business. How? They showed us the additional revenue per view for each variant. Give our friends at Neat AB Testing a try today and start testing for your business. Head over to try.neatab.com slash commerce dash T to start your 14-day free trial. Again, that's try.neatab.com slash commerce dash T. Okay, yeah. Here's our intro. Yay, yay, sponsors. <laughs> I realized I was like, that might be not typical for what he is used to. No, this is this is fun. I uh, I'm glad we're doing you guys make this more fun than just like listening to someone's voice. So <laughs> that's the goal. That's it's an immersive goal. experience. Yeah, that's truly, right. Truly, truly 4D. For for those listening, because I'm going to make sure that, hello, Chris. Chris is our editor. Uh, Chris is not going to edit out what just happened. Um, <laughs> so whenever we're getting ready to start an episode, we just kind of like sing and dance where our intro is supposed to go. And then we actually jump right into the episode. But I think that was just too good to like leave. That was too good. You, you, I got some like dad, bad dad, dad dancing in there too. Um, so. Well, I do have bad news for the listeners. They do not get to enjoy the dancing that we got to enjoy. Yeah. yeah sorry, sorry about it. Sorry about it. Well, so Ethan, welcome. Who are you and what do you do? Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure. I have uh, been a big fan of the show for a while and um, uh, just you guys have such a great reputation and precedes you guys. Uh, so I'm a partner at Excel. Uh, we're a global venture capital and growth investment firm. Uh, maybe to give a little bit of just 20 seconds on Excel, uh, we've been around for you know 40 years as a firm, one of the oldest in Silicon Valley and 
we're, we're, we're global in terms of our presence. We've got an office in Palo Alto and then an office in London and Bangalore. And uh, we invest at across every stage of a, of, a, of a business. So we do seed Series A and we're probably most famous for being investors in Facebook in the Series A and being the first institutional investors there. Um, and um, and then all the way through to, you know, very late stage rounds. And so, uh, and we do a mix of consumer. So Facebook, Spotify, Bumble, um, Etsy, Kayak, uh, things like that. And then uh, we do a lot of enterprise software as well. So things that people may know, like Slack, Atlassian, Dropbox, um, Miro, uh, 1Password. Um, and uh, we do a lot of security and infrastructure software too. So investments like CrowdStrike and um, and so forth. And, and we've done, uh, we've been investing in e-commerce for a very, very long time. Um, I think if you look at our history, it's a, I think it's 20 plus investments. We've um, invested uh, from everything from marketplaces to actual D2C brands to enablement companies to marketplaces. So uh, a lot of rich experience. And I, 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 I help um, a lot of our work around D2C and, and the tools and the software that's enabling merchants to go direct to consumer. But I, I just like to say I stand on the, the, the shoulders of giants because a lot of my partners have, have made an incredible e-commerce investments that, that has given us access and, and gives, gives us a unique perspective today. I'm curious, how did you get into this line of work? Oh boy. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? It's so funny. I, uh, the goal, I, I always loved technology when I was a kid. I won't go into like the, the cliche. I always pulled apart computers, but I did. And my dad was, 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 was mad at me, but like the, the whole goal was actually, I love software. I, I love the fact that like you could kind of encode workflow and processes. So my, my goal always was to be a, like a software entrepreneur. I was going to do a startup and probably fail miserably, um, over and over again. Um, but uh, you know, it ended up being where I, uh, you know, post school, I did a little bit of investment banking. And then I, I was able to join a firm where I could invest in software companies. And my thinking was two years of investing, and I'm going to go join a startup or, or start something. And it just ended up where I just love working with founders so much and helping them build their business and hire people. And I got enough of that entrepreneur experience, plus the, the ability to work across lots of different companies. And so it's been really fun. So it's almost, uh, I guess, it's eight, eight, nine years of doing this. Oh, cool. I always love the origin stories. Like, how did you end up in like a very specific career path that I've obviously learned more about since I've been in the e-commerce world for a while now. But it's, it's, it's one of those things like, I don't know, do people like go to school specifically for <laughs> this? Like, are you just gonna like fall into it? I fell into e-commerce, so... I, so at some point, I'd love to hear your guys' stories too. But like for me, it's it's my dad was an entrepreneur. Um, he was an immigrant to, from Korea to, to Sydney, Australia. And so that's why I have a weird accent, um, somewhere in between Australian and English and maybe something else in there mixed in there too. No, just watching him build a business. And I think my passion for entrepreneurship, I, I guess maybe one reason why I've really enjoyed this and had some level of success, success is because entrepreneurs, they kind of feel like, I, I, I want to help build their business and, and they feel that energy. And so, yeah, I, I don't think you, you plan on doing this. You, you kind of like fall into it because you're so passionate, you know, about it. So. Absolutely. And, and we, we've spoken in the past and, and we've talked about just the power of e-commerce and direct to consumer. Can you talk a little bit about, before I get into the, what is a consumer internet company? 
what do you love about D2C? Why, why that space? Because I love it too. Yeah. You know, um, I like to say, and maybe this is just, I'm being so just self-deprecating on this call, but like, I, I'm just not cool enough to invest in like the very cool D2C brands. Like <laughs> I, I, I like B2B software. I'm sorry, I do. Um, and so it works that way. This layer, like I can still help really cool businesses. Um, you know, like I was talking to our place, the, the, the ceramic frying pans last week on a, on I a used mine yeah. like 20 minutes ago. My wife. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think she's bought like five of them or something. I don't think we need five, five of them. <laughs> but, um, for me, actually, it's, it, it kind of ties back to entrepreneurs and helping them. And so I remember like as a little kid helping my mom who had a small business, she had this little health salon and I just remember helping her market some of her services and, and like the little things I would do, it actually would drive some results, um, you know. And so I think for me, the the small business entrepreneur, the the person who's just starting out, who's got a dream of building something really cool and selling it to lots of people, I I really gravitate towards that. And so this this ability to to invest in the picks and shovels layer and it arm the I, you know harley finkelstein which he had on your he, he likes to say you know arming the rebels and i kind of love that you know there are behemoths out there like amazon and they don't need any help from investors like <laughs> me or or anyone yeah, or anyone <laughs> you know I, I know maybe some of my stuff sounds like i'm trying to villainize them i don't maybe there are things that 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 they could do better for their merchants etc cetera, etc cetera, but they're they're a necessary part of what needs to happen for e-commerce to reach its full potential. They had to go and build the infrastructure, the payments, logistics. You know, invest billions of dollars. And but at some point, merchants grow up, and they say, "Hey, look, this isn't the best thing for me. I need to one take control of my own customers because on these marketplaces, they don't get to actually engage with them one on one. I think that's not cool. <laughs> you know, in some in some respects, I think." Obviously, the marketplace is bringing customers directly, and it's it's almost like instant demand. But what they give up in return is that ability to really build personal, long term relationships with, with their customers. And and so for me, I I think just the key to success for for any business long term is to own their, those customer relationships. And I think in this new day and age of of what shopping looks like, where everything is like moving towards digital, you know, I think a lot of it is about giving the tools that Amazon has like personalization and search and, you know, merchandising and putting the power of those marketplaces and the technology that they have to the small businesses. And and I think that's something I really resonate with. I could talk about Amazon like for this entire episode. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, we We can. Yes. You could do like the, you know, here are the, you know, the, the reasons why they exist. And I could just be like, (laughs) Oh, We'll have you on 2.0, the 2.0 edition. No, but you know, it's funny because like actually uh, one of the things I want to talk about too was like just how global this whole phenomenon is at D2C. And maybe I can weave that in now because I, I did go and do a ton of work to go basically map out what's happening globally in D2C because it, it is a global trend, obviously, thanks to the pandemic. And prior to that, it was kind of slow moving. But, um, you know, in Africa, you have Jumia, which is the Amazon equivalent. You have Coupang in South Korea, you have Mercado Libre down in Latin America, you have the C Group down in Southeast Asia. And it's amazing because you're seeing the same pattern play out. These marketplaces go out, they invest, they forge the they the heart and the infrastructure, they they vet the merchants, they build trust with consumers, they subsidize some of the experience. 
And then once people are used to buying things online, the merchants kind of gain more power and, and they should become more independent. And you're seeing this D2C wave happen everywhere. It's really amazing to see. It really is. And, yeah. you know, from the, the agency standpoint, you know, I've had a, so much opportunity to speak with these merchants from all around the globe that it really isn't just a, you know, just here stateside or anything like that. And it's cool seeing the differences in like the creativity that's coming out from, you know, various yes. places as well. It's amazing. And I think it's it's all about like the, again, like empowering the the, the person who's dreaming up a, a big company in their, their garage or Wherever it may be, and so I think um, the the key thing is, you know, what Shopify did incredibly well, and others like BigCommerce, and and um, you know, over in Asia, there's in South Korea, there's one called Cafe Twenty Four, and and in Hong Kong and Southeast Asia, there's one called Shopline. We invested in a company called Nuvem Shop, which is doing that in Latin America, is to try and make the software really easy to use. And so I think if you can make a delightful experience for the merchants, they can use it, and it's something that actually that's why. But that's another reason why D2C hadn't happened historically, because actually a lot of that software was only built for enterprises. So Salesforce Commerce Cloud or Magento or you know Oracle ATG, they were big, heavy. It took six to twelve to two years <laughs> to implement, and you had to get a you know it was it, it's just so expensive and time consuming. And so for the SMB and mid market merchants, finally, you know, these platforms emerged and and gave them really easy to use software and then an ecosystem to go and build all the things that they needed to. And I think it does take a village. And I think the platforms that are smart enough to enable other developers to build on top of the platform, like Shopify and BigCommerce and Move and Shop and and others, um, it's the right approach because there's way too much to build for one single company. And and they're not one size fits all either. No, that's right. And, you know, that's right. thankfully, that's why both Rian and I have flourishing businesses <laughs> built on top of Shopify. A hundred percent. And I think the, the the thing I always say is like, so in the U.S., right, we're at 17 percent e-commerce penetration. And actually, all my work, I can give you the origin st- story of like why I started all this work was like actually about five or six years ago, I almost invested in Magento. We were looking at that business. They spun out of eBay and... I was, I, I remember like impressive business. I got to know the CEO, Mark Lavelle and uh, this great guy, great guy named Mark Lennon and the rest of the great team there. But like the thing that stood out to me the most was like, we were 8% penetrated in the US for e-commerce. And I remember like mm. just that, that stat kept me up at night because I was like, why is this so behind? Why? Like we're in 2016, like eight out of a, every dollar, eight, you know, eight cents out of every dollar is like only e-commerce. And I was like, what is going on? And so it set me on this quest of like, okay, I'm going to go find, we missed Shopify or I missed Shopify as an investor. And I was like, look, I'm going to go find at least the the other areas that I can invest in, whether it sits on top of Shopify or otherwise, I got to go find them because there is this massive wave coming. And this is even before we thought a pandemic. I mean, none of us knew this was going to hit in 2020. And so when the pandemic hit, it took was like frankly, I think as an investor, what was seemed like a really sleepy category. Like actually, I think prior to the pandemic, if you if you talk to a lot of investors, they just weren't really super excited about this category except for shop, you know, Shopify. And you know, actually, you know, we we invested in two amazing apps that sit on top of Shopify, Clavio and Shogun, which we can talk more about. But um, you know, even those two, as I brought those up and, and actually recharge, you know, Ocean over there, um, like we were nervous about platform risk and I got that yeah. question constantly. And so, but 
But I think in the end, it's the wave is so big. Even if you sit on top of Shopify, you can build multi hundreds of millions of revenue, multi billion dollar valuation businesses because the e-com wave is so big. And I think there's decades and decades and decades of penetration left to go. Oh, without so, a doubt. Without a yeah. doubt. So it's something you know, that I, I also I, stress yeah. to like shop or potential Shopify partners, even it's like there's you, you know, we're talking like there are over a million merchants on Shopify. But then you have all of these other like app partners and you don't have to have, you know, one, there's a competition exists for a reason. There doesn't yeah. have to be only one or one market, one app in the space, you know, build something cool, find your niche, find some way to make it different or better. Yeah. And you can really thrive. It's incredible. And shopping is going to change so much. So if you look at China, like they're 10 years ahead of us in the way yes. they shop. <laughs> It's actually quite embarrassing. Um, yes. I'm like USA all the way. But hey, when it comes to e-com, we're like, we're, we're moving at a snail's pace compared to, you know, China and, you know, live shopping and, you know, they're buying things inside of super apps and the way they, you know, there's a company called Pinduoduo that it's social commerce where like a, a, a village leader, this is for tier two or tier three markets in China where they don't have a lot of infrastructure, like a group leader will go and buy something in bulk and then distribute it to the rest of the village. It's it's incredible. And that business is growing, you know, at a billion of, of revenue doubling year over year. And so like wow. we um the way we shop is going to be so different in five, 10 years. And so I think not only do we have tons of penetration left to go, but an, a, a big ev- evolution in the way we shop as consumers. Yeah, I I think that's fantastic fascinating. I've always been very interested too in, in payments and why the US tends to be like yes. years behind everybody else in terms of payment <laughs> processing. I, I remember, I mean, we've only just really, TAP is really we new just to the United on our cards. Yeah, We just got chips I know. on our cards. And we still, a lot of cards still don't even have a pin. So we can't do chip and pin <laughs> unless it's like no, a I debit feel, card. I feel terrible for like, no, Apple. Apple built this amazing Apple Pay technology. No one like adopted it. Yes. Until like we're forced to. <laughs> and so we love we love like the feel of plastic for some reason, I guess, as Americans. So finally we got used to touchless payments. But um yeah, it's it's so funny. I, I I'm still trying to get my head around why sometimes we're so behind in some ways, um, here in the US compared to Asia and other places. But the exciting thing is in some ways like our economy is ahead, in many ways our our e commerce market's behind. So it means that there's just all that much more opportunity for us, right? Yes. I love opportunity. I love it so (laughs) much. Hey, Rian, what can I do to help my support team be more efficient? I recommend Gorgeous. Gorgeous combines all your communications channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform that gives you an organized view of all help requests. This saves your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. Sounds great. What else can it do? With Gorgeous, you can pre-write and save responses to your most frequently asked questions. You even have access to the customer's order information so you can personalize responses with things like an order or tracking number. This then frees up your time so your support team can focus on complex questions. This sounds like a great way to also increase sales and brand loyalty. Where can I learn more? To request a demo, visit commercet.com forward slash gorgeous. That's commercet.com slash G-O-R-G-I-A-S. 
Okay, we could we could jam on this all day when it comes okay. to. I feel like there's several moments where I'm like, okay, we we definitely need to have Ethan back on because I want to talk more about building on top of the Shopify platform. Because even if you get one percent penetration, you're absolutely crushing it, uh, you know. And I want to talk more about Clavio and Shogun and and some of the other folks that you you partner with and, and and invest in and you sit on the board of, which by the way is really really cool. I want to talk about consumer internet companies because we told everyone we would. <laughs> <laughs> what is a consumer internet company? If you could define that for our listeners, please. If you think about the internet, it's, it's I mean, making a very obvious statement. I mean, it's, it's all, all per- pervasive, right? And so it's, it's, I guess if you were to just say consumer internet, you know, the first companies that come to mind are the social media platforms, right? Um, you know, they deliver content, they deliver commerce, they de- deliver multiple consumer experiences all on the one platform. Um, you know, in, in my history, I've invested in a few of these, but mostly subscription focused ones versus kind of ad based ones. So, um, you know, lynda.com, 1Password, um, uh, uh, Headspace, Ancestry.com. And so, um, you know, for, for, for me, uh, as long as they're leveraging the internet and delivering some, you know, unique service to a consumer, that's a consumer internet company. Um, the funny thing to your point is, you know, almost all software these days, like a consumer can go and use and test out like Slack, you know, originally was built for developers and, and businesses, but, you know, consumers were using it for church groups, et cetera. So I think the definition is blurred these days. Um, but, um, but I think as long as they've built something that that a consumer loves and 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 loves and, and experiences using um, loves experience using, then it's a consumer internet company. I was doing some research on this uh, earlier today, and I had pulled up this article from TechCrunch, and this is kind of just a, an aside, but it was explaining how you can break it down into um, like easy to easy to understand what the company is and hard to actually do it, hard to build it, hard to deliver on it, and they have a category that's hard to explain, easy to do. And in that category is Theranos. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Again, total aside, unrelated. <laughs> but I've had that tab up for a little while now. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a separate podcast. We could go. Oh, yeah. That, that. That's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's podcast 3.0. That's, that's, <laughs> a, whole, that's a, whole other, a whole other thing. I, I was I was speaking to somebody about doing due diligence the other day, actually. actually, And that person was my mother, and that was last night. When I was talking about, <laughs> I was talking about VCs and angel investing, and I was talking explaining about due diligence and the importance of due diligence. Anyways, I digress. Here's another question for you. What do you think the future of commerce looks like? Great, broad question. Very, very broad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Look, I think um, I, I talk about, I'm, I, I keep hammering on this drum of 50% e-commerce penetration at some point where we get parity between, you know, offline and online spend. And I think I make this prediction, I, I wrote this op-ed and I think we published it on Excel's blog. Uh, I make that prediction that we'll get there within 10 years. I might be wrong, but um, I make the prediction. And, and if, if we get to that penetration, what, what does that look like? I think um, Amazon continues to be a big part of our story, uh, that story and our lives. And, um, you know, today they're 30 something percent of, you know, uh, U.S. e-commerce market share. 
Actually, 2020, incredibly, was the first year that they lost U.S. market share. I don't know huh. why people aren't talking about this. Um, I didn't Shopify know that. I didn't know doubled. that. Will yes. you say that one more time? Say it again. Yes. 2020, the pandemic year, was the first year that Amazon lost U.S. e-commerce market share. After 20-plus years of continued gain, right? Huh. It's pretty remarkable. And so for me, that's why I'm so excited about this D2C trend. Because if you think about where that share went to, if I'm just being honest, and hopefully I'm not being, you know, making, ticking people off um, everywhere, but um, a lot of it went to D2C. And a lot of it went to Shopify, frankly. Like Shopify's shared more than doubled. Their GMV, Shopify's GMV, about doubled at a at billion dollars of scale. And so, look, um, I think a universe where merchants have direct relationships with us, they understand us as consumers, it kind of replicates the experience of going into a store that you you frequent, right? Like, hey, Mary there understands you. She understands what looks good on you. You know, she understands like, you, you know, the colors that you like, et cetera. I think, I think people do want that. Consumers want that. They don't want that in a privacy, you know, um, you know, uh, I guess endangering way. But if merchants do that with respect and they have the data and the tools to personalize experiences, I think that's a universe I want to live in. And I think that's what U.S. consumers want. And I think that's where we're headed. And so... I think my hope is a big chunk of that 50% e-commerce penetration is uh, is merchants and using great software like Ventov and Ventov and Clavio, Clavio and Shogun and Nubum Shop and Shopify and and BigCommerce and others and, and I think it's harder to do because you got to be more thoughtful around what your technology stack looks like and how you use data, but in the end it's going to pay off for merchants. I have a question in this 50%. Uh, you know, shift towards 50% e-commerce, it, I feel like it would be at the expense of retail. So how do you envision the retail experience changing if we're moving more online? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I would reframe like at the expense because if you think about it, like it's really just a shift of spend, right? So if the brands do a good job, it'll just be like less dollars coming out of, you know, the, the for traffic and more dollars on e-com. And so... I think the the forward thinking brands don't think of it necessarily as a you know like a zero sum game. It's how can we expand our presence and market share, and and be in all the you know be where the consumers are, which today is frankly mostly on our phones, right? How do we create mobile first brand experiences that differentiate us? And I think if you hear from you know we've got we've, um, I, I I don't mean to shamelessly plug, but we've got this e commerce conference that actually Rian's speaking at. Um, so please come to that. She's going to be an amazing panelist. Um, but it's on Wednesday, June 16th. Um, and uh, we, we have some amazing chief digital officers speaking there from, you know, um, the, the Gucci, the Gucci group, which is Caring Brands and Tapestry, which is Kate Spade and Spanx and Under Armour and, uh, and Athleta. And, and they'll talk about, hey, this isn't like a, this is a share shift game. It's not something at the expense of. But I think, I think what what we hope we see is hopefully more integrated experiences. I don't know what that looks like. That's kind of what I was getting to. Like there are more companies who are starting to utilize retail as more of a showroom Mm -hmm. instead of a direct shopping experience, which I think is so cool. I think that's, that's, that's a really, I think that's the future. So if you think about what restoration hardware did, right. Mm. I mean, they, they basically converted their retail presence into showrooms and, 
I think, um, you know, we've got some companies uh, that actually, for example, we've got a company called Gopoff, where they, they actually acquired BevMo, as yeah. a, you know, and they aren't actually using them as like retail locations. They're using them as warehouse uh, locations. And, and so we're seeing things like on the supply chain side change, where retail storefronts, uh, they're changing the nature of what they are. Um, but I think you're right. Like, I think for, you know, traditional retail, uh, I think you'll see a lot more smaller locations uh, used more as showrooms. And and I think having things delivered to your door is just so convenient that you don't have to like lug a big, gigantic dinner table in your car on the way home or figure it out that day. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Things that it, nobody likes to do. So. <laughs> when we're talking about this, I'm thinking um, Everlane, Bonobos. Casper, those flagship stores yeah. away. Uh, yep. This is all pre-pandemic. Of course, we'll see how everything comes back. But those were all stores you would walk in. And I remember taking my daughter shopping at Everlane. And she was so perplexed why we weren't walking out with anything at the end. And they just shipped it all to us. But it was such a cool, it still was a really cool experience. And it was really specialized yeah. and customized. And I think that's what's going to really make the difference when these D2C brands go omni-channel, go retail, and also when bigger brands have to niche down to keep up with that experiential moment. I think we're going to see a lot of that white glove concierge. That's what, well, or maybe this is just what I want. I just, I just want white <laughs> glove concierge everywhere. But I think We all want that. Yeah. yeah, I just want to feel fancy wherever I That's go. Right. So really quickly, you talked about the conference. We were going to ask you about the conference. And so- some folks from Gorgeous are going to be there. Malum, so some of our sponsors are actually going to be speaking as well. Recharge, we've had a, a guest for Recharge on before. Shogun, Clavio. There's so many Shopify apps, everybody who's going to be at this conference. Can you just talk a little bit more about that conference? And it, it's free, right? Yes, it's free, open to anyone. It's um, it's virtual. And um, we've actually had almost a thousand people sign up already. And the qual- the list of people who signed up is incredible. Like we're talking about directors and VPs of e-commerce for amazing brands uh, that you would all know. We're talking about like the heads of e-commerce for major tech companies everywhere. We're talking about you know the who's who of startups, lots of agencies, and so we've got an incredible people coming to the event to listen. It's open to everybody. It's um, on Wednesday, June sixteenth, starting at nine a.m. Pacific. And if you want to register, it's uh, ex- uh, ecomconnect.excel.com, and that's ecom with two M's. And, um, and yeah, and then we've got some incredible speakers. Like I said, uh, all the companies that you mentioned from the Shopify ecosystem and others, including um, Alloy, Fuvasa. Oh, yeah. How uh, could I forget Sarah? Yeah, Sarah Alloy, yeah. yeah. How could I forget? And uh, we've got all of the major e-commerce platforms, so BigCommerce, Shopify. Actually, that, that one that I'm moderating, that panel, it's going to be fun. I was just chatting with them all yesterday. They were just fighting over who's the best platform. So that's going to be like the, the <laughs> WWE events where they all wrestle each other to death. I love uh, it. About who's the best platform. Um, we've got some amazing brands that I mentioned before. Um, uh, we also have the social media platforms who are talking about how commerce is changing on Snapchat and Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then we've got some some great moderators. So we've got um, Anna Maria Cantara, Alcantara from Wall Street Journal and... Ludwig uh, from The Economist and Alex Wilhelm from TechCrunch. So it's um, we're, we're putting a lot of energy behind it. And we have Mark Laurie from Jet.com and my partner, Samir, who um, he invested in both of Mark's companies, Jet.com and Diapers.com, who will be our keynote 
Uh, so lots of exciting things. Not to miss, that's for sure. I also do want to clarify for our listeners, Excel is A-C-C-E-L. It's not yes. spelled like yes. Microsoft Excel. <laughs> and we will link to this in our show notes. Of so, course, yes. Yeah, go register. It's going to be good. I'm not just saying that because I'm speaking, although obviously <laughs> that makes it better. Obviously. It helps. Uh, it helps, but the, it's it's really a, a rock star cast of folks who are doing and moving in the e-commerce ecosystem who know. I, I was looking at it today. I was like, man, I cannot wait to listen to this panel. I cannot wait to listen I just can't. I, I'm just so excited about about it. Yeah. The, the, actually, the one panel I forgot to mention was our kind of P2P e-commerce delivery, and we've got the CEO of Stitch Fix, the CRO of DoorDash, the CEO of Goat, the former chief strategy chief strategy officer of eBay, um, and a company we just invested called Mitzfits, which is gro- uh, fruit delivery. So all um, their Facebook ads. Sub- yeah, <laughs> supply chain. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Actually, speaking of which, if I can tie that to the future of commerce, I, I remember I was in Korea, like this was maybe seven, seven, eight years ago. Um, you know, in South Korea, in the subway, subway, Korea is like also, Korea actually has the highest e-commerce penetration in the whole, whole entire world. It's pretty amazing. Um, they've really integrated their payments from a consumer standpoint. So like on their phone, they can pay for the bus ride to their groceries to everything, right? And so it's incredible because you, you, I was riding in the subway and on like just on the, a billboard on the wall, there's basically, it looks like a grocery store with like grocery items. And people were just going through and scanning the QR codes of the items that they wanted on their phone. And they were literally shopping for groceries at, at the subway station just using a billboard. And that those goods would be delivered to their house the next day. And so if you think about what the future looks like, we can shop anywhere. Right and integrate offline and online experiences. All of us uh, who are who are building technology, we just need to imagine that kind of stuff where it's seamless, right? And I think that's pretty cool. I'm just glad that people are finally actually using QR codes. I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna Again, say. why we didn't use them before? I don't understand. And now the pandemic uh, is like, oh wait, we can use QR codes for menus for everything. It's it's yeah, it's fantastic. I've been I've been getting asked recently by some folks, some companies that I'm advising, should we be putting QR codes on our marketing material? And this is the first time, I've never been asked that question up until the past three months. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, wait a second, this actually works and it converts well and people go. So maybe we should change the way we're marketing and thinking about this instead of thinking, oh, this is not a technology that is is used and adopted. Because guess what? We're using it. We've adopted it. We all know how to do it now. You know what? It speaks to how hard it is to change consumer behavior, right? Yeah. And attitudes, right? And so sometimes it, it takes a pandemic to, to make us all, you know, get, you know, catch up to where, where technology has been built. But it's, it's amazing because like, if you, again, back to my theme around, it's so early in e-commerce, like Newham Shop, for example, down in Latin America, it's incredible. Prior to the pandemic, if you, if you went back like 15 years ago when Amazon was just still starting out, I remember like, I, I think I was in middle school. I remember going to Amazon's website and, and trying to buy a pair of sneakers and thinking about it and being like, actually, I'm not going to buy it. I haven't seen it in person. I don't know if it fits. I just don't know if I, like it's going to actually arrive at my door. Like those, those concerns that I had, which we don't, we just take for granted today. Yeah. They still like, that is what other countries look like today. Um, and so uh, it's it's kind of crazy to think that that's where we're at still in 2021. 
I'm just, I'm excited to see what this industry looks like, even like two years from now. Yeah. <laughs> One year from now. <laughs> One year from now. Our, this industry is light. It's, we're at warp speed every day. Right. Yeah. And and if you think about the investment dollars that have gone into like the Shopify ecosystem alone, like the app ecosystem, I was trying to get, get my head around like what the latest numbers is. It's definitely over a billion dollars has gone into investing behind Shopify, just Shopify apps, like in the yeah. Shopify ecosystem. They obviously have expanded to other platforms too. I think that's mind-blowing. And that's happened in such a short amount of time. And I think that may end up being 5 billion, 10 billion if we just play out the next five to 10 years. And so- Rian and I are going to capture a billion of that. <laughs> that's- I guess this is a good time to tell our, our listeners that Rian and I are building an app, but we're not going to tell you what it is yet. Yeah, we're building Ooh. in stealth though. It's a big secret. <laughs> Oh, We're doing the okay. opposite of building in public. We're building yep. in total private. <laughs> well, you bootstrap your company, right, Brian? So uh, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, we have so much respect for bootstrappers. I mean, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, both Kelly and I are bootstrapped. And I oh, actually remember when we, my business partner, Josh, and I had talked about raising around, and I'm talking six, seven years ago, yeah. we were told... There is absolutely no way anyone's ever going to invest in you because you're only on Shopify. And come come now, 2021, it's like, well, maybe, maybe that's different. Maybe, maybe we were wrong about that. So it's it's been really cool to see that evolution. And we bet on Shopify a really long time ago, as did Kelly. And we we were like, nope, this is it. E-commerce is the future. We believe and we're really happy to be here because amazing. Now we're friends. That's yeah. why. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> so we could have you on all day and I really would love to have you back quite quickly to chat more because sure, I think yeah. there's a lot more to unpack and we can get some questions from our listeners as well. But in the interim, and I gave you absolutely no notice of any of this, we're going to do book shout outs. We'll go first and then you can go next. You can go oh after us. And it, it's just, what book are you feeling right now? Are you reading right now? Are you enjoying right now? So Kelly, over to you. I am a really big fan of Michael Lewis. I read everything from Michael Lewis. He recently came out with a new one called The Premonition, A Pandemic Story. And I know we're still technically in the pandemic. Why are we already reading books about the pandemic? It is a fascinating read. Uh, having a background in public health, having a master's in public health, having worked at the CDC and seen how this, things happen, how everything works at the CDC, just, it, it, I left the CDC after nine months. Like, I just couldn't do it. Um, and reading about, reading about the CDC in the book, and I, I was just like, see, this is why. And of course, it dates way back, but it, it's a really, really, really good read. Um, of course, Michael Lewis's writing style is phenomenal and just keeps you engaged. So highly, highly recommend. Rian, what about you? So, uh, okay, don't hate me. Oh, I'm not going to hate you. <laughs> My book recommendation is Atomic Habits. And the reason I say don't hate me is because Kelly has been talking about Atomic Habits on this podcast for over a year now. And <laughs> I've been res actively resisting. Uh, maybe I've been in and around LA too long where I'm like, oh, if it's if it's cool and hyped, maybe it's not actually. No, I was wrong. I was totally wrong. I eat my words. I'm fascinated by it. I've been reading it every single morning. I don't want to say it's life-changing yet. But it's already changing the way that I frame the way how I how I approach things and the way I think about things. So that's by James Clear. Big fan. Everybody go read it. Rian texted me after she started reading the book and she was like, now I get how you are the way that you are. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's true. You make more sense now. And I already thought I knew you. And I was like, oh, that's why she does things this way. That makes sense. That's very efficient. Uh, so- Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so Ethan, over to you. Uh, thanks for springing on this one. You on know, me, guys, no, no problem. Great. <laughs> I, I, so what I, what I was doing is I actually pulled up my audible. I, I don't have time to read books. I got three kids and a puppy and, and this job is pretty, pretty demanding. But, um, the, the last one I, I listened to is actually Michelle Obama's Becoming. Oh, that was a really good one. And I, I'll tell you what, like, I won't make this political at all, at all, but I love the Obamas. I just, um, I think reading about how she and Barack, like the values, I, th- I think what impressed me most about that story was the way they they were the way they grew up uh it, it resonated with me because i i'm from an immigrant family that we my my parents were not wealthy when i grew up and and the challenges that come from in some ways the way society treats the those who are in lower socioeconomic places and the striving and the hard work and dedication determination it takes for someone of her background to get through to become someone successful who can make an impact. And I think it takes values and principles and a strong family and a really strong partner to do that. They're obviously incredibly impactful. And so we can't all be like them. But I think uh, that for me was just, it was a really powerful book because I think for us too, like as, as you know, not not to talk too much about broad society, but like the Asia, the, you know, the, um, you know, anti-Asian hate thing that's obviously really important to me personally. And then, uh, you know, the empowering African-Americans and rectifying some things that have happened in history and having more and more role models of folks who've gone through the struggle, who've become successful and are in positions where they can look back and reflect. I think we just need to hear more and more of those stories. Completely agree. I couldn't agree more. I th- th- I love that that was your recommendation. Yeah, uh, actually, that made me. I was <laughs> grinning ear to ear. I that's fantastic. Yeah, and actually, sorry, one more thing. Like more female, more female examples. Um, you know, I, I kind of my wife will say this too. Like, I think I consider myself a feminist, and I think every guy should be at some level a feminist because I think in order to rectify again some of the history, we we all need to kind of over rotate towards that to fix things right and so i I have two daughters who i love and and cherish dearly and i want them to have the exact opportunities that i had and everyone else has and so i think it's incumbent on all of us to to try and level the playing field if whether it doesn't matter what side you're on uh try and level it if you can i guess is a good message for all of us yes i love that and i i agree with you a level playing field is critical for everybody to, to succeed together and if we don't all win, then does anybody really win, right? So, I love that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, final, final question. And like I said, we're going to have you back. If, you, if you'll if you be back, we want you back. <laughs> I'll have to think about it. I mean, this uh, okay. was such a rough experience. <laughs> <laughs> Where can we find you on the internet? You know, it's so funny. I, I've kind of been this like heads down investor I, I haven't really built a social presence and so for this conference it's the first time actually i didn't even really use twitter like it's kind of embarrassing uh you know linkedin which ever, some people call the most boring social network is probably my most active like social network but anyways um i i, I started using clubhouse so for the conference i did a couple of clubhouse sessions and so i'm trying to you know just 
the, the thing I guess I'm doing is I'm trying to get out there and beat the drama of this D2C thing because I think it's, it's, it's going to benefit all of us, consumers, merchants, everyone. Um, and so, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Ethan Troy 7 um, Actually, I'll be on uh, TechCrunch is doing a, a Spaces Live today. So I'll, I'll do that today. So I'm oh, trying cool. to get out there a little more. That's a, uh, sorry, what time is that? It's 2 p.m. Pacific. Um, so I'm trying to do some more things, but that's, that's one way. LinkedIn is one way. And, um, uh, and then I'm on the Excel website. So if there's some way, if, if you're, if you're building a cool company or just want some advice around, you know, some things that we've seen on consumer B2B or e-commerce, um, more than happy to help. And so, um, I don't know if you guys give out email addresses that may be a little bit scary. So uh, maybe I'll just, it. um, <laughs> yeah. so I, uh, and, and phone numbers, I won't give my phone number out either, but, um, just text me, but you can find me online somehow. Perfect. <laughs> Ethan, thank you so, so much for joining us. This was an absolute blast. This was a blast. Yeah, no, thank you guys. It was a real pleasure and, uh, congrats on what you're building. I, I love commerce tea and, uh, we need more folks like yourself just to build great companies you know, talk about great things. And, and uh, so appreciate all you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks again to our sponsors for supporting this episode. We have a YouTube channel. You can visit it at youtube.com slash commerce tea. If you like our podcast, leave us a review on Apple podcasts. Reviews make us really happy. Please do it. I beg of you. Thank you. <laughs> you can subscribe to commerce tea on your favorite podcasting service. We post new episodes every Wednesday. So grab your mug and join us then. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Clocked In is a time clock for Shopify. With Clocked In, your team members can easily clock in and out of their shifts from anywhere. You can manage your team's hours as they work remotely with an intuitive interface that can be used from desktop, tablet, or mobile. Check it out at clockedin.io or in the Shopify app store.